This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome to Puckcast with Statsman and AJ, Rotowire's hockey podcast show. I'm Paul Bruno, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My usual co-host, AJ Scholes, is away on a party trip to Las Vegas. I kind of envy him, but I'm not too far away in warm weather myself in Phoenix, Arizona. In his place, I'm joined by a longtime media pal of mine, Mike Augello, who's a great follow at Mike in Buffalo. Mike, welcome to the show again. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can see your fine work on the hockey beat? Well, you should check out HockeyBuzz.com. I'm the Maple Leaf columnist and webcaster on Hockey Buzz. We do a webcast five days a week, and I write every day on the Leafs who are uh, you know, pursuing a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, and it looks like the next 15 games are going to be live or die for them because it's a very tight rate in the race in the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. Now, as always, Micah, before we get into the program, I want to remind our listeners that throughout the week, if, you, if they have any questions about their lineups, fantasy hockey, or just hockey in general, they can tweet us. And we will try to answer their questions during our next podcast. You can send your questions and comments to me, Paul Bruno, the Statsman, at Statsman22. Okay, Mike, let's get into some of the news and notes of around the league. I mean, we touched on the first story. Since I'm in the Phoenix area, I've been gathering information on the Coyotes' struggles to really solidify their standing in the local sports landscape. NHL commissioner Gary Bettman has gone on record as saying that the club will not remain in their current home in Glendale, and a local relocation is recommended ASAP. The cause has not been easily assisted by recent comments of the former mayor of Glendale, who has stated that the problem is not with the current location, but rather with the franchise leadership, which has failed to ice a competitive product. How do you react to that comment and the situation, Mike? Well, I think the mayor of Glendale has a point in terms of the the franchise will be more successful if they were successful on the ice. When they made the conference final a few years back, they did fill the, the seats in the playoffs. But the problem is, is that the ownership, there's been, what, five ownership groups right. you've had. Uh, you know, they moved from the America West Arena to Glendale. Glendale's, you know, they, they've gone through bankruptcy. They've gone through a number of different things. It, it's just a chaotic situation. The league has tried their best to keep that team there. I think now the frustration level is at its highest after the Arizona State uh, deal fell through. I think it's a fait accompli. They're gone. Um, but I think the NHL is trying still to see if there's any way of keeping that team in Arizona because it's a big media market. But I think within two years, they're not going to be in Arizona. Yeah, the modus operandi of Gary Bettman is to really 
seek that last straw and, and flush out every possibility in prior circumstances. I expect that to continue. And to me, the last straw is seeing they could find something near ASU and the downtown Phoenix area. Uh, between Phoenix and Tempe, perhaps, uh, where the, uh, it's most populous down here. That made, made sense to me right at the outset. I don't know why they didn't find a suitable situation. I mean, initially, the first re arena setup was just horrible down there years ago, uh, and things have not gotten better since. But, Mike, we got a lot to talk about on this show, and uh, the focus in this next segment, we used to do a 30, a 30 and 30 sweep, uh, talk about all the 30 teams. We're going to kind of get back to that. With four weeks left in the season, Mike, uh, I'd like to look at the each of the playoff races and divisions with you. At the same time, we can highlight teams that have exceeded expectation and others that have disappointed. We'll begin with the Atlantic Division, where there's only a 13-point gap from first to fifth. I guess it's a little bit larger now than it was a couple of weeks ago, with three other clubs looking like also rands at the moment. Your thoughts from the Montreal Canadiens. Let's talk, talk about the top of the ladder, Montreal Canadiens and Ottawa Senators there. Well, I mean, Montreal has had their struggles. They're pulling out of it ever since the deadline. They added some some bodies. They really didn't add the scoring that they needed. Carey Price seems to be back on, on, uh, on track, and as Carey Price goes, so does the Canadians. I mean, I think that that lull in the early part, in the middle part of the season was disappointing because everybody thinks he's supposed to be a Hart Trophy, Vezina Trophy winner, and he was very human looking. But now, you know, you get to the stretch run, and Carey Price is being Carey Price again. But I, I don't think that Mark Bergeron did him any favors at the deadline. They needed scoring, and they didn't get it. Yeah, and Shea Weber's stats are, are about where we expected them to be. But, boy, if you took it, take a look at the first two months of the season, he hasn't done a lot offensively the rest of the year. And so uh, he might be viewed as a bit of a disappointment considering they gave up a, home, uh, a favorite in P.K. Subban who ha is having his own struggles in Nashville. But uh, you, you said it right. Uh, as, as Carey Price goes, so goes this club. And right now they're trying to do their best to hold off the Ottawa Senators, who are charging hard. They have uh, 84 points, two points less than the Canadians, and two games in hand. I think they've been the surprise of this division. How do you feel? I, proje I projected Ottawa to be the last place team in the entire league. I did not think that they would be able under Guy Boucher, you know, he would probably instill more of a defensive system. And I didn't think that the, the players in that team could play a defensive system, but I was wrong. I and mean, their their defense is solidified with Fanuf on a second pairing, with Carlson getting the big minutes on the top pairing. They're getting offense out of guys like Mike Hoffman and Mark Stone. Thing the thing that they've been challenged with is the injuries and the situation with Craig Anderson. They've gotten through that. Uh, right now they're without. Uh, you know, Kyle Turris has a finger injury. Stone is injured, but they keep plugging along. They added our Alex Burrows at the deadline, and they're you know I think they're giving Montreal a lot to worry about yeah they've gotten a lot of mileage out of Dion Phaneuf uh, we both thought he was on the downside of his career but he's had a but nice bounce back season he's got 29 points nine goals uh we haven't seen nine goals out of him in a long while and uh, but on the downside Bobby Ryan's kind of let them down offensively they got a nice boost from Alex Burroughs most recently that's one of the better acquisitions it looks like at the trade deadline in fact so Ottawa is going to give Montreal all they can handle in this playoff race for first in the division. That's a, that's a primo windup. You don't want to finish in the second and third slot because you're likely to get Boston and possibly even the Maple Leafs, two clubs, I, I think, that for me exceeded expectation. Why don't we take a look at them in tandem, Mike, and your thoughts on the, on the Bruins first and then the Maple Leafs. Well, I've been watching the Bruins a lot, especially last night when they played in Vancouver, and I'll tell you right now, one of the most, I think, one of the best lines in hockey right now is when they put 
Bacchus, Bergeron, and Marchand together. Marchand is turned into one of the best wingers in hockey, and I know he's an annoying player, but last night he had a hat trick in a key game against Vancouver. I mean, they have some other forwards, Krejci and Pasternak provide some secondary offense, and you know their defense isn't what it used to be, But and Tuka Rask is a pretty good goaltender, but I mean, they're, they still have a core that's playoff tested, and I don't think they're going to fade. I think they're going to probably stay in third place or get that second wild card, but they're, I think they're a playoff team the way they're playing right now. Yeah, I would agree. And it's, it's kind of interesting that they're doing it without a lot of offense from Sedano Chara, who used to be the linchpin in terms of scoring from the blue line. He is a plus 15, but only 21 points to go with that so far this year. Uh, Tori Krug has, has rebounded nicely from a subpar season for me last year. He's got 45 points, and he's plugging in as, as the power play quarterback there and doing an effective job. They've got some serviceable performances out of guys like Dominic Moore and Bacchus, uh, who signed a big deal. I was wondering if he would live up to it. And he's done pretty much what they would hope for, solidifying a third scoring line and factoring in on the special team. So they've got some good contributions there. Now we get to the club that we both know best about about this team. I think it's easy to say they've exceeded expectation when you think they finished last last season, Mike. The Maple Leafs plugging in no fewer than six or seven rookies on most nights. Uh, They're right in the thick of the playoff race. Well, after losing five games in a row, they come back and win three games that they arguably should win against uh, Detroit, Philadelphia, and Carolina. Now the schedule gets a lot tougher. They play the two Florida teams, uh, the Panthers tonight, Tampa Bay on Thursday, then go into the weekend against Chicago and then Boston at home. So a very tough schedule. I think they're. I think they have the toughest schedule of any of the teams competing for a playoff spot in the Eastern Conference uh, with 15 games to go. They're, they are in the thick of it. The, the downside is that there's a lot of youth there. I mean, so far it's served them very well, but when it gets down to crunch time, you don't know how the youth, you know, guys like Matthews and Marner are going to react to the, to the pressure. Marner hasn't, or Matthews hasn't scored in five games. The defense with the Leafs is the big question mark. Freddie Anderson has played wonderfully, but their defense, Babcock has had to go down to five defensemen in the last two games because he doesn't have six defensemen who can play capably. That's a great, great assessment, and you know what? The team is playing it with house money. There's no one, even the most hardened of Leaf fans who thought they had a shot at a playoff spot. So even if they were to fall short, the, the, the downside is they get another decent first-round draft pick. It's not a great draft year, but uh, they're filling up the cupboard in terms of prospects, and uh, they've got tons of money to spend uh, in free agency and more coming down the pipe. We'll get to that story at the end of the show. I can tell you I'm doing a slow burn about it, though, Mike, as we <laughs> talked about it off the air. Uh, we got the two Florida clubs uh, trying to close ranks on the last playoff spot, which the Leafs hold right now. And uh, and uh, that is the, the tandem of the Lightning and the Panthers. Both clubs really, uh, T- Tampa's really on fire of late, and Florida's doing what they can to make it a tight re- a six-team race in this division. What say you about the chances of one of the Florida teams getting into the playoff spot, or, or your assessment of the teams year-to-date? If I'm a Maple Leaf fan and looking at the wild card, the team I'm most scared of is not the Islanders, but it's Tampa Bay because they're they're playoff tested. At least most of them are, um, but they've had some injuries. Stamkos is still out. He's close to coming back. They lose Tyler Johnson, Nemestikov, Paquette last week. That's three centers doesn't seem to phase them at all. They keep winning. They went into the MSG last night, and Braden Point, uh, the rookie who I talked about on a previous show, got two goals, including the game winner, with about five minutes left to go in the third period. They're getting great goaltending out of Vasilevsky, and their defense is pretty solid with Hedman and Strawman as that top pairing. I mean, I think 
they could they could catch Boston, they could catch Toronto or the Islanders for that uh, wild card spot. Yeah, I think that's a team that really has, uh, you know, right from the general manager's office onto the ice, had a fabulous year. Uh, given that that they've done it without their signature player again, Steven Stamkos out the whole season, and and to me the guy that deserves a lot of kudos and he's had a superb year is Victor Hedman. He's taken mm. that jump into elite status among league, def- uh, league defensemen. Fifty-eight points puts him right in the top five scoring of, uh, among defensemen in the en- entire league. And if it wasn't for a guy like, like Brett Burns, you'd be talking about this guy possibly in the Norris race. So they've got a lot of mileage out of out of the guy, and uh, it's the goaltending for me that's a question mark here, Mike. Once they got rid of Bishop. I don't think Vasilevsky proved himself. Certainly they plugged in Peter Budai, who's had an amazing season as maybe the surprise goaltending story in the league with Los Angeles, but now that Quick is back, they saw him as an expendable piece, and it helped them to solidify their uh, their off-season plans to spend some money to be able to, to parlay him into some assets, too. So uh, a really good situation unfolding in Tampa. Uh, exceptional management job done by Steve Eiserman, who's to me is the GM of the year hands down. Uh, the Panthers, Mike, your quick thumbnail on that club. What a screwy team. I mean, they win, <laughs> five, they win five games in a row on the road. They get Huberto and Barkoff back. Everybody thinks, okay, they finally figured it out. They go back home, and I think they've lost eight of nine. They've lost five games in a row. Luongo gets hurt, and James Reimer is James Reimer. I'm sorry. I mean, I, he's a nice guy, and I like him, but I just don't think he's a number one goaltender, and they signed him for five years. And I, to me, in a couple of times during this streak, he's dropped the ball where they needed to get points, and they didn't. So I mean, if they may very well win tonight, it's you know do or die for them against the Leafs. But I, I don't think that they have what it takes to get into the playoff race. And then that leaves us to talk about two teams that fit into the also. I'll say they fit into the also ran status. It, it sounds kind of funny with, when I'm dusting off the Buffalo Sabers, who are only a point behind Florida. But the fact is, Florida's got two games in hand on them. And I don't think the Sabres have what it takes to close ranks on, on the contending clubs in this division. And to me, their, their rebuild has gone a bit sideways, Mike. When, when I look at it and, and compare it to what Toronto's done, that seems to be what everybody's doing in, in southern Ontario and, and uh, the New York, upper New York state. It seems to me like the Leafs have done it the right way, where Buffalo is trying to plug in some gaps with some big money additions that really haven't uh, lived up to the dollar value that was expected. I'm talking about guys like Kyle Pozo and Evander Kane. Kane's got 25 goals. He's a, had a fine year that way, but he's a minus 13, and, and the complete game is not uh, visible from him. Pozo also a minus six. That's just symptomatic of a Buffalo team that has not been strong on the defensive side of the puck, and it hasn't been helped by the fact that uh, Eichel missed a, a, a good chunk of games at the start of the season, though he is at the top of the ladder when you look at the scoring here. And... Uh, your thoughts? I, I think I think injuries have killed the Sabers. Eichel was out for six weeks at the beginning of the season. Opozo is out for the second time with an. With, I think he's a rib, rib injury right now. I think it was a knee earlier in the year. Kane's been out for a while. I mean, injuries have killed them. Plus the fact their defense is terrible. Other than Ristolainen and Jake McCabe, they've got a bunch of overpaid veteran guys like Cody Franson, who we know very well, and Josh yeah. George, and Zach Bogosian, who I mistakenly call Eric Bogosian because he probably plays like Eric Bogosian. 
Michigan. Uh, you know, so I mean, it, it, their their defense is not good. Robin Leonard at times has been really good, but uh, I, there's just not enough there there. And I think they still probably need another year and some more additions to really get into the thick of things. But there's some talk that Dan Biles may be in trouble, which honestly I think is stupid because then all you're doing is starting right over again. Exactly, and then that leaves us to the Detroit Red Wings. Who would have thought this team was going to finish last in the division? But it looks like that's where they're headed in a season where their owner, their wonderful owner, Mike Illich, passed away. Unfortunately, uh, it's it's a signal that this team is about ready to do a rebuild. But and yeah. the sa- at the same time, Mike, you have to be disappointed with the fact that uh, Dylan Larkin has underperformed. Uh, Gustav Nyquist has underperformed. Uh, yeah. Anthony Mantha's shown some flashes and is a plus player on this team, which is kind of a remarkable circumstance. Henrik Zetterberg seems to be the lone uh, veteran who uh, continues to do what he does, basically, and that's lead the team in scoring with a plus record. But, boy, there's not a lot of help around him, and uh, this defense also suspect as well as the goaltending, as it turned out this season. I mean, Ken Holland did the right thing. He traded Ubanek. He traded Brendan Smith, Yurko, Odd. He got rid of his expended, uh, his uh, expiring contracts at the end of the year and got draft picks. That was the smart thing. The problem is, like, as you said, a lot of underachieving players. Mantha, there's some there's some love-hate going on with him and either Jeff Blaschel or the management of that team because he's been scratched or fourth line, played on fourth line the last couple games. Um, so, I mean, we, we don't know. You know. He's got a lot of talent that we saw at the Centennial Classic, how good that kid is but i mean i i don't know if they're going to go to a full rebuild because they have a new building next year but that's a team right now they're a mess they're just a mess yeah i think and and the white flag has been raised i think or will be shortly to put an end to a remarkable string of 25 consecutive years in the playoffs i think it is mike uh what about the metropolitan division that's the cream of the crop in terms of the top teams some of the top teams in the league uh, we'll take a look at that group next there's four of the league's top six teams if we had the a look at the overall standings right now and the shame of it mike is that at least one and possibly two of these teams will not get past the first round of the postseason that begs the question of what to do with the current playoff system maybe you can spend a minute to think about uh, express your thoughts about that and and the top of this group with washington and pittsburgh and columbus uh, and the rangers I think simply they have to go back to the one eight formula. Uh, I mean, I think that would be probably be the best thing because having Washington and Pittsburgh meet in the second round and basically that be the best series of the playoffs and not have it in the in the conference final or the Stanley Cup final. I mean, you could go back to a one sixteen scenario, but I don't think the league will ever do that. But I, I would go back to a one eight scenario in each conference with with uh, you know the division winners having the uh, having the top two seeds and then fill in three through eight. But uh, regarding Washington, they're having their slump right now, which is probably a good thing. They get Shattenkirk. He gets suspended for a high hit. Um, they've lost four games in a row. It's better that they have their lull right now than in late March or early April, just entering the playoffs, because we know that they're, you know, the Heimlich maneuver is ready <laughs> for, for the Caps when it comes to the playoffs, and I think they're trying to get past that, and I think they have the team that can do it, but that team in Pittsburgh is always you know hanging right there. Yeah, no question. The Penguins have really closed the gap. In fact, they're tied in the standings right now. 68, uh, 68 games played. Each team has 95 points. The tiebreaker looks like it might go Washington's way. If we look at reg- regulation wins, we'll have to check that later in the season to see how that breaks down because it could be the t- deciding factor as these clubs look like on a, they're on a collision course. The, the 
the Penguins, to me, that's a team that has outscored their problems this season, uh, basically with the revolving door of issues on the blue line, Mike, that I think has been uh, the primary concern for this team all season long. But uh, when you've got the likes of Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel lighting it up offensively, and you get some nice performance from, from unexpected names like Connor Sheary uh, and Nick Bonino for me, uh, they've weathered the storm uh, with, with the secondary scoring, I think. But really the as far how far this team goes to me is dependent on uh if they can get some some good work out of their top defensemen and some good health particularly out of a guy like like chris Latang. yeah i mean they they bolstered their blue line by adding uh Hainsey and adding mark strite but they they need to get trevor daly back they you know they, they just lose they just lost Haglin for four weeks with an injury so going into the playoffs healthy will be of the most importance for uh for the for the penguins and mike sullivan what do you think about the goaltending situation who gets game one it's going to be murray murray's murray's going to be the guy i i mean if murray falters then they know that they have a playoff tested guy in mark andre Fleury. but mark andre Fleury will not be on the penguins next year so i think they're going to go with murray Marie won them a Stanley Cup. They're going to go with him again. Yeah, I think that's an easy call, Mike. But uh, it's tough to see a veteran like Fleury on the sidelines last year and, and looks like he lines up in that role again this year. Uh, an unfortunate kind of swan song for him on a personal level. But, uh, boy, he's had a well-decorated career uh, at the back of the Pittsburgh situation. And it'll be interesting to see where he winds up next season. That That's going to be one of the primo offensive off-season stories rather uh, that I'll be looking at uh, Columbus was a team that came out of the gate like a, a bat out of hell they are only one point behind these other two clubs the same number of games but to me it looks like they've faded a little bit Mike uh, do you agree with that assessment I mean they faded from 16 games in a row yeah. but they're st- I mean they're still playing really well. I watched them beat Philadelphia last night. They're, you know, they're getting great goaltending out of Bobrovsky. Their defense is deep. They, you know, they don't have a great offense, but their power play is fantastic and Cam Atkinson is having a career year. So, I mean, I am I've been very impressed with what John Tortorella has done in Columbus. I don't think anybody expected it. I think people thought he was going to get fired at the beginning of the year. I think they have a very good chance of winning this division and even if they don't, I think, you know, a first round matchup, you know, a first round matchup for them is going to be tough. It could be Washington, it could be Columbus, it could, be, or it could be Pittsburgh, it yeah. could be the Rangers. Yeah. So whatever it is, it's going to be a tough matchup. But you can't take anything away from the Blue Jackets. I think they've had a fantastic season. And then we come to the Rangers, who are in a very interesting scenario here, Mike. Uh, they are in the toughest division in hockey, but they might wind up playing the first two rounds in the Atlantic Division because they are the first wild card team at the moment. And that currently sets them up with a fir- for a first-round date with the Montreal Canadiens, which would be right. compelling viewing. So uh, maybe that's the best spot to wind up with in, in the Eastern standings because of the potential for two rounds in the Atlantic. Uh, your assessment of the Broadway Blue Shirts? I, I mean, I think they're a very deep team. I think they're a very imposing team for a playoff matchup i mean right now lundquist will be out probably for another three to four weeks i i think they're being extremely careful because they know their playoffs rest on the on the legs and hips of henrik lundquist so they're going to take it take it careful and easy on him and let auntie ronta play some games and he did last night he didn't play badly against the lightning i mean fourth place in the metro is not the worst place to play i mean 
Lundqvist does not play traditionally well against Montreal, but I would rather play Montreal in the first round than any of the three teams ahead of them in the Metro. You don't think they're tanking it to get fourth place, do you? No, no, I, I, I don't. I, okay. I did, but I think that I think that Lundqvist is genuinely hurt, but I think they are smart to be careful because it, it's one thing to have a, a, a like a seventy-five percent Lundqvist or a hundred percent Ranta going in the playoffs. It's another thing to have a hundred percent Lundqvist, and that's what they're looking for. Well, another team in the New York area, the New York Islanders, uh, has had a had had pretty good run of late, but they've stumbled a bit, losing their last two games. They're in the thick of the wild card hunt for the, with the last spot with the Maple Leafs, and uh, right now they they've taken a couple of missteps. But boy, you have to like uh, the way John Tavares has been leading them of late and uh, the fine season that he's had, raising the the value of uh, wingers like Bailey and, and uh, Lee. Uh, who who are some some of the better value guys in season long play in terms of expectation? I think your assessment of the Islanders, Mike. Well, watching them last night, I, I wonder how they're even in the playoff race. I mean, granted, I, Tavares is a great player. Andrew Ladd has had a great second half of the season. They brought up Josh Hosang, a, a big prospect who is playing well. Their forwards are good. Their defense is good. Their goaltending is abysmal. Yeah. They played J.F. Berube, who was not an NHL goaltender yesterday. He cost them the game. They bring in Thomas Price, who they've run into the ground. He gave up a bunch of goals in the second half of the game. They apparently will not call up Yaroslav Halak, even though he's been the, probably the best goaltender in the American Hockey League since he was demoted. So if they, And they did nothing at the trade deadline. So if they don't make the playoffs, put it on Garth Snow's head because he's the one who caused it. Yeah, I think that's a great assessment. They they got a lot more mileage out of some players than was expected, and he could have done a couple of little moves to bolster, fill some holes that you've highlighted, particularly the goaltending situation with so many goalies uh, potentially exposed for the expansion draft. That that could have been a real carousel at the trade deadline that they could have taken advantage of, and certainly Halak and the minors doesn't make a ton of sense, except for the money side, perhaps, and that's sad when that factors in to uh, what could be the demise of their season after such promise earlier on. Philadelphia, Carolina, and New Jersey, they all shape up as also-rans for me, Mike, and maybe you can talk about them uh, in a quick thumbnail on each club. Well, Philadelphia, I mean, last week was one point behind Toronto going into that game on Thursday night. Consecutive losses, or losses in a row in Toronto against Boston with 5.6 seconds left to go in the game. To, uh, uh, they lose 2-1. to one. And then last night, they lose to Columbus. They they took the lead. They, they were tied late in the game, and Columbus gets a late goal. Um, they're pretty much out of it. I mean, I think their season's been up and down. They had that 10-game winning streak. Uh, they're not very good on the road, and they're goaltending with Neuverth, who they've re-signed and Mason has been up and down so it's an inconsistent year for for the the Flyers Carolina has got a lot of good young players um, they showed it last night Jakob, uh, Jacob Slavin gets a hat trick against the Islanders although you know it it would help if you had NHL goaltending in there to stop it um, I, I, I you know there's some potential there Carolina had a long losing streak in the middle of the season probably because they had to overplay Cam Ward but uh, I mean, I, there are some workable pieces there. I think Sebastian Ajo is one of the best 
rookies in the NHL and they have Jordan Stahl, they need to add more offense for that team to be in competition for a playoff spot. New Jersey, there's just a not enough offense. There's not enough defense there. And I feel sorry for Corey Schneider because, you know, he's got they're they're oh eight and two in their last ten games. So if they were ever close to a playoff spot, losing basically losing ten in a row kills your chances. Yeah, uh, to me and of this trio, the fantasy flop, I'll say uh, one of the fantasy flops this season has to be Claude Giroux. He's really stumbled offensively, going a long stretch without scoring goals. Uh, just got off that schneid recently, but only 13 tallies this year. Minus 17. That's not what you expect from one of the league's better uh, all-around players. He's he's the guy that I put just as a in the, in the second tier of, of talent uh, below the likes of uh, Crosby and uh, that kid in, in Edmonton, McDavid. So for me, yeah. that's been part of the... Uh, one of the architects for Philly's demise as well as the struggles in the nets uh, that we've detailed in this program many, many times. In terms of the goaltending, I think Carolina's got an interesting situation. Eddie Lack seems to have straightened out his game uh, late in the season, too late to help the club, but I wonder if he's got uh, some of the Las Vegas scouts uh, drooling as a possibility out there. Cam Ward is a guy like you put in the same camp as Corey Schneider. This, these guys are work workhorses who are just toiling behind suspect clubs that don't really give them the support that they need in terms of the all-around game, uh, despite the fact these guys put up some, some heroic efforts in the face of, of a lot of rubber in their direction. So I kind of lump them together. Let's uh, take a look over into the Western Conference, Mike, and uh, the top of that group is laden with a couple of teams that are also among the league leaders. We've got the Chicago Blackhawks which uh, are at the top of their game and that's bad news for everybody. They are still uh, a league power and a threat uh, to go deep into the playoffs again but above them by a point are the Minnesota Wild and I don't think there's too many people that would have forecast this team to be uh, atop the league and it doesn't hurt when they got a lot of mileage out of a guy like an Eric Stahl to give them a tremendous one-two at center. Yeah, he's he's really paid dividends for them. They got him on a really, really economical deal, and he's returned back closer to the prime of Eric Stahl's career than what we've seen over the last few years. I mean, I, I honestly think that the, the Minnesota Wild wishes the playoffs would start right now because the last few games that I've seen them, they've sort of been dozy. You know, like they, you know, it's, this is sort of the dog days after the deadline before the playoffs. You just want to not get hurt and get to the playoffs. Uh, with you know on a winning streak or in a positive thing and right now they're they're sort of like just waiting around for that to happen so I I really think that uh, you know they'll mix in Kemper to give Dubnik a little rest from here from now until the end of the season but I really think they want the playoffs to start right now yeah if you look at this team really uh, without a weakness but uh, they might have to deal with Chicago before they escape their division in the second round if uh, things go according to Hoyle and what say you about uh, the league's perennial power in uh, the Windy City. Until somebody beats them, I think they're going to come out of the West. I, I really, I, I think you know Taves is playing great after a sl- after some injuries earlier in the season. Kane is Kane, you know they uh, the Hosa is Hosa. I mean, there's there's no reason to think that this team is not going to, uh, you know, be there in the end. I mean, the con- there was some concern earlier in the season about uh, the goaltending, but Crawford has come back, come through in the past. Right now, Darling is out, and they've, uh, but I think he's close to coming back. 
So everything is in place. Unless they have a major injury to a key player, this is the team that I think is coming out of the West, but we'll see. And, you know, you get a guy like Richard Panic. They got such great mileage out of him. 17 (laughs) goals and 36 points. Nobody could have forecast that and convinced me. But they've got the third and fourth hole uh, at center filled in with a couple of young players, too. They just seem to find pieces that figure out the Chicago way and they bring them along during the course of the season. And then they become the next Andrew Shaw. And I wonder if Kruger or Carroll is going to fit that mold for them. But certainly, like you said, this is the toughest out in the Western Conference. They're tried and true. And uh, until you beat the man, you can't be the man. If I can kind of monkey around with Ric Flair's tagline a little bit there. We got the the Nashville Predators and the St. Louis Blues. Uh, They're pretty much lumped together at 79 and 77 points, respectively. I expect a little more out of Nashville than what they've shown, and I can I can think I could say the same thing about St. Louis. They they've not performed like I expected them, Mike. What about your assessment on these two clubs? Well, Nashville hasn't played up to snuff defensively as much as I thought they were going to, and I think that's maybe consistent with them losing Shea Weber, who's a rock on defense, and PK Subban, who is more of an offensive defenseman. I think that his style fits more with what uh, Peter Laviolette wants, but that's not maybe a style that's conducive to winning in the playoffs. Now, Nashville didn't win much in the playoffs with with Weber, so maybe they'll have some better success. But right now, I mean, it's a nip and tuck battle for third place in the in the in the Central with St. Louis, and maybe in the wild card race. Although you know, St. Louis beating Los Angeles yesterday, you know, opens up a seven point gap between the Predators and the and the Kings. So if they can't hold on to a seven point lead, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But I, yeah, I'd be a little concerned. You know, Rene's getting a little long in the tooth, and their defense is not as good as it once was. And then uh, the St. Louis Blues, this is a team that, to me, they were the first team in the post-salary cap era to really figure out how to, how to fit all the depth under their, uh, that cap limit. But other mm-hmm. teams have caught up to them, and I, I, I think they still have a shot to be an upset special in the first round, uh, despite the fact they've got to deal with either Chicago or Minnesota probably uh, at some point. But uh, don't sleep on the Blues. They've got all the parts, and uh, they can put it together behind one of the more dynamic players in the league in Vladimir Tarasenko and get some kind of goaltending out of a Jake Allen who's bit been struggling a little bit uh, at times this season. And I, I would say keep an eye out for the Blues. Well, they, they won a key game against L.A. yesterday. They've won five games in a row. They After trading Shattenkirk, they've successfully circled the wagons uh, with Mikey O at the helm. So, I mean, right now they look to be in a good spot to make the playoffs, but L.A. is only five points behind, and if they slip, I think they'll be there. So we'll see. And then uh, we have three teams that line up as also rands in this division, Mike. Maybe we can take a look at them together and do a quick assessment of the Jets, the Stars, and Colorado. We expected probably Colorado to be at the bottom of the league. Dallas, to me, a bit of a disappointment with all the offensive pieces who've disappointed there, but injuries were a problem. Winnipeg boasts a guy who lines up to me as a real threat to be rookie of the year, despite uh, my homer bent with the Maple Leaf possibilities. Uh, I think line has got the edge right now. He's playing with some real stars up front that helped build his case, but uh, there's not enough there to to close the gap on uh, the contenders in this division. So what say you about the Jets, the Stars, and the Avs? 
I think actually the, the case for Line A is weaker because he's playing with stars because Austin Matthews is playing with two rookies. But we'll, right. we'll have that argument for another day. Uh, right now, I think the, the the common thread of the whole of all those three teams is defense. Uh, Winnipeg loses Tyler Myers. Their defense is not as good. Their goaltending was not good in the first place with Hollebuck. Uh, they had to call up Pavlik at a point during the year. I think their goaltending has hurt them. I think their lack of defense has hurt them. Dallas's defense, team wise and on the blue line, has been hurt horrific this year. I think Lindy Ruff is possibly on the way out, unfortunately, because that team has underachieved. They had some injuries earlier in the year, but the goaltending of Niemi and Lettinen is horrific, and their defense hasn't helped them. And Colorado is a train wreck. It's just an absolute train wreck. Um, The defense is their main problem. Now, obviously, they tried to, they they floated out the Duchesne and Landeskog rumors. I don't know whether that's going to pan out in the summer or they're going to maybe make a coaching change after a year or if they make an organizational change and get rid of Joe Sackick. But right now that organization, that once proud organization is a mess. Yeah. And I want to touch on that last point that you made about they're, they're dangling some of their young stars at the trade deadline. A, was that a legitimate uh, plan of theirs, do you think? And B, do you think they might execute it in the offseason? I I don't understand it, quite frankly. You're giving up the the ghost on a couple of guys like that who are in their uh, younger years. Uh, You can lump McKinnon into into that group and a trio of guys that I think they build their team around uh, still. They've got a lot of good years ahead of them. The team that was a head-scratcher for me, I was looking at uh, Dallas thinking they might deal a guy like a Patrick Sharp. And uh, the fact that they didn't move him uh, was a bit of a surprise for me. I think that a change, you know, I think they were looking to make a cosmetic change or a chemistry change. And the only way you can do that is by moving good players for other good players. The problem is the reason they didn't pull the trigger is because they didn't think they were getting good enough players or players at positions that they really needed, like defense, to justify moving a Duchesne or Landeskog. That might happen in the summer teams will be freed up to move more impactful players or players you know not limited by salary cap restrictions so i think it still could happen but i wouldn't give away matthew shane just because he doesn't get along with the coach or doesn't fit into their plans yeah they can find another coach that's usually the way it works isn't it yes (laughs) all right let's finish it up with the pacific division is this used to be a landscape where the three california-based teams would uh, be atop the standings but a couple of uh, Alberta-based clubs are factoring into the mix. It looks like there's going to be some Canadian content in the playoffs out of this division, but at the top of the ladder, we have to give a nod to the San Jose Sharks and their veteran leadership and that beard, the bearded, the bearded wonder on the blue line. Uh, quick thumbnail on the Sh- San Jose Sharks, uh, Michael. San Jose and Chicago conference final. That's my predi- that's my prediction. I mean, they're. I mean, it's funny because that team is again had had the Heimlich necessary a number of times over the last few years. But last year they came through. They had goaltending with Martin Jones. Their defense is solid. Brent Burns is probably the Norris Trophy winner. It could be a Hart nominee, and they're getting consistent offense. They're just big. They're experienced. They're tough. They're, and they added a Yannick Hansen at the deadline, so that just makes them even a little better. So I, I think they're a fantastic team. Yeah, in in season long, you might season long play. You might have been disappointed with the output of Couture and Thornton, who are 
they're going to get over the 50-point mark, but they're going to be life and death to get 60, and that might be a bit of a disappointment. But this team is is uh, ready for another good playoff run. I agree with you, and they've got tremendous mileage, obviously, out of Burns, who uh, they should have delivered the trophy by now. I would think that that Norris race was done a while ago. But in the Nets, uh, this team will go as far, I think, as uh, Marty Jones will take them. To me, he's been a revelation in the last year and a half, coming from the ranks of a backup uh, to their uh, state rivals. Uh, I wonder if, if L.A. had a chance to do uh, to look at that as a do-over. They really are outfitted this club with uh, the last missing piece to, to make the waning years in, uh, of the veteran careers up front meaningful with a couple of really good playoff runs. So I agree with your assessment. I think San Jose is the class of this division, clearly. And uh, that leads us to the rest of the group. We'll talk about the Calgary Flames, who they've got tremendous mileage out of a guy who I'm going to highlight uh, their goalie, Brian Elliott, a little bit later. He's been a real key to their second half resurgence. And they're right now tied with the Anaheim uh, Ducks. Let's take a look at both of them together, Mike, the Flames and the Ducks. I've never been a big fan of Brian Elliott, but he's playing very well. But the funny thing is, is that the Flames started playing a lot better just after the de- or around, around the deadline. They when they brought in Michael Stone from Arizona, they signed Matt Bartkowski, they straightened out their defensive pairings, and everything just clicked into place. Now they have the offense. We know Monahan and Goudreau. They have a, a, a line with Furleek and Furland and uh, and and Matthew Kachuk that's been pretty good or, or, or no sorry michael backland michael yeah, backland yeah um so i mean that, that's i mean they've got a deep diversified offense their the defense has played well and they're getting the goaltending now they've won 10 games in a row they're a lock for the playoffs now just a question of how far they can go yeah and talk about the way they're made up you you touched on it there they've solidified their defense with a couple of veteran additions and and uh, we know the playoffs are a war of attrition so i like the fact that that uh, Calgary can call upon no fewer than seven or eight guys who can they can plug in and they can be effective at both ends of the ice uh, so I like that in their makeup and it's a heavy team too and uh, boy you got to like what they've got in Matthew Tuchuk don't you this guy uh, looks like a chip off the old block and uh, yeah. if he's uh, half as good as his dad Keith boy they've got a real find there out of that London factory in the junior A levels so uh, I say watch out for Calgary it'll be a tough first round matchup but it looks like it'll be against Anaheim and maybe yeah. home Mice determines that one, Mike, but that's two heavy teams. And uh, the, the Ducks themselves boast a, a heavy uh, club and a veteran presence up front. Uh, what yeah. do you think about the Ducks' uh, chances? I, I like the Ducks, but the thing that concerns me is John Gibson has been hurt twice in the last couple weeks. Uh, they, they're going to probably play a significant portion of the remaining schedule with Jonathan Bernier as their goaltender. And, you know, I think I think Bernier was miss. Uh, was miscast in Toronto. I still think he's a good goaltender. I just think that the situation in Toronto really ruined him and I think would ruin most goaltenders. Um, I, you know, a lot experienced forwards up front. Uh, they add Patrick Eves at the deadline, deep defense. The goaltending may be the question. And if it's Anaheim versus Calgary, it's who gets the better performance, Bernier or Elliott, or if Gibson's back, if Gibson can play at 100% of it's Gibson or Elliott. So that, yeah. that'll interesting series yeah looking at the numbers that gibson's posted he's got a 228 goals against bernier 269 i'm surprised by both uh, numbers uh, testament to the fact that this team has played pretty well defensively in front of them and and i think it's an underrated defense and maybe a defense that at times is underperformed but they got a ton of mileage out of a cam fowler who was on the trade dead uh, trade block early in the season as a guy that they might have been shopping around i'm pretty sure they're happy they didn't move him because he leads the club with 33 points and has been a fa- good fantasy performer uh, they got 
Sammy Vatnin with 22 points, maybe underperformed there, and Lindholm with 14. I'm sure they would have expected more from that trio in total offensively, but uh, there they are in third place, a lock for the playoffs, and uh, they'll get a tough first-round matchup, looks like, against Calgary. Uh, another team that finally looks like they're, they're going to get in the playoffs is the Edmonton Oilers. It's been a long time coming, Mike, and Connor McDavid has uh, looks like he's leading them to the promised land with a great year. Yeah, as I was gonna say, here's my insightful commentary. Connor McDavid next. <laughs> Indeed, uh, you know he's been the signature player there, and uh, I, I think that when they look back and they say, see that they signed Milan Lucic for the big bucks that they did. He he was penciled in as a first line winger with McDavid, but I didn't like that fit at all. I didn't think there was any way that he could, would catch up, uh, keep up with McDavid. And so he's been off. He was off that line earlier in the year, and he's probably better cast in a, in a secondary role, but. Boy, they paid a lot of money to get him, and uh, maybe this is the time of year where he'll, he'll pay dividends. For me, the guy that's been a key in terms of this offense is Patrick Maroon. He's got the same size as Lucic and the same kind of mean streak, but he's he's proven that he could skate with with McDavid whenever they were paired together. And uh, even the experiment with Drysaitel on that top line, they've got a little bit of flexibility here. And uh, some of the other number one uh, recent number one draft picks uh, have have done serviceable jobs, but boy, they still have to be disappointed with Nugent Hopkins at. 32 points uh, and a minus 14 to me that's a glaring uh, miss in terms of uh, recent drafts and and a guy I think that I might be expendable in the offseason let's go into the also ran status of this division Mike there's tr- three teams there why don't you take a look at the, the three clubs and and let us know what you think about the LA Kings while well, the LA Kings are you know, people would like to see them miss the playoffs. Have they got a run in them? I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a tough run, uh, tough road to hoe. They missed uh, Jonathan Quick all season long and hung around the race, but oddly enough, uh, he hasn't given them the spark that I thought that, that they would get uh, when he came back. Well, I, I think he's played well. The problem is they're still not scoring goals, right. and that was the question. To go out and trade for Ben Bishop as a backup is a disaster scenario behind Quick when you needed to get offense. And I think, you know, great, you got Jerome McGinley for free, but you needed more than that. And so I, I didn't agree with the, the direction that Dean Lombardi went. Maybe he, you know, just the, the possibilities of trading for more offense just dried up. But I, I'm not sure if they have enough scoring. You know, Kopitar is not had a big offensive year they they have enough scoring to catch st louis or even edmonton in their division but what we'll see uh vancouver i mean they did the right thing at the deadline they moved out burrows they moved out yannick hansen they got some young prospects they did the right thing i watched them last night you know they have some players who can still play the sedines can still play but and ryan miller is still a pretty good goaltender but there's a lot of not there there and they, they they really need to move in some young players and make some moves and maybe and go into a, a reset but i don't know if the ownership is going to allow them to do that the arizona coyotes probably are going to be the well they're going to be the second pick in the draft because colorado is so bad this year uh depending on what the lot what happens with the lottery but i mean the what we talked about earlier whether that team is going to be in arizona i think overwhelms every story or storyline about this season yeah and uh, back to la for a moment i, I I would say Kopitar is the Western Conference version of uh, Claude Giroux in terms of fantasy flops. Only nine goals and 40 points. I mean, uh, in Toronto, they were comparing uh, Austin Matthews' profile with him. Uh, boy, it certainly looks like, like Matthews has blown that out of the water in year one. 
It's a bad season for Kopitar, but uh, this guy, if they can sneak into the playoffs, could be a guy that ramp, ramps it up. So people will be glad to see Los Angeles miss the playoffs. This is a team that, that's gone deep many, many times, and there'll be a big sigh of relief when you see that other teams clinch the eight playoff spots there. Vancouver and Arizona, two teams that we forecast at the beginning of the year as terrible clubs, have lived down to that reputation, although Vancouver did throw a scare into us early on with a, with a, a stronger-than-expected uh, first half, I would say but they've certainly found their level in uh, in the second portion and Arizona that is as you say a train wreck and uh, we've talked too much about them I think already <laughs> Mike that takes us through uh, each of the clubs and now we want to take a time out here to give a nod to one of our proud, uh, proud sponsors Pristine Auction at pristineauction.com I'll spell that out it's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E auction.com and it's a really neat website where they have daily options auctions ending nightly with hundreds of lots for sale. There's tons of stuff for the man cave, always something perfect for a fan of any team. And if you're concerned about authenticity, that's so important to me, Mike. Uh, we ge- they generate authenticity and all items that come with an authentication from only the most trusted of sources. And if you're concerned about affordability, I can attest to the fact that uh, despite the fact most people don't think they can afford this stuff, it turns out to be much more affordable than you think more often than not. And uh, I, I, I got to say, when I was looking around this website, I found some neat stuff from all uh, each of the last 40 years, I could say, and each of the four major sports. And talk about affordability they, they sell autographed sweaters that sometimes they cost just a little bit more than what the sweaters are uh, on their own so tremendous opportunities to pick up some neat stuff at pristineauction.com and please if you do uh, go into the site and into the section how did you hear about us take a look at the drop down and give uh, rotowire a nod in that drop down option it's a, it's a important to us because it'll help us measure the effectiveness of these ads and certainly uh, both uh, we and Pristine Auction are, are excited about that and what it might reveal. Uh, now, Mike, we, we take a bit of a turn from what we do on Thursdays, and we're going to take a look at Tuesday's games tonight and not go in-depth in terms of the rosters that we put together in FanDuel, but certainly you and I will put our heads together and come up with a couple of lineups as well. Right. What say... Just to just to let you know, Paul, before we go into that, uh, the NHL has canceled the game Winnipeg and New Jersey for due to the blizzard on the the nor'easter. So that game will not will not be a factor. So you may have to uh, make a one a couple lineup or a lineup change for your your lineup. All right. Well, thanks very much for that heads up. And uh, you know, on the West Coast, we're not feeling that that pain. So. Yeah, I'm sure sure you feel our pain right now. I hope it works out well for everybody out that way. So uh, let's take a look at then uh, at the first few games, Mike. I'll take us through them, and then you take us through the latter ones. Sure. We got uh, the Jets in the second of back-to-backs against New Jersey. We can take that off the board, as you said. Minnesota at Washington, where that's a battle of heavyweights. The Caps are a minus 146 favorite with the over-under at 5.5 for that 7 o'clock start. Then we got the Islanders at Carolina. That's an unusual one, Mike. It's a matchup of a game that was held last night where Carolina rolled in and uh, against the Islanders. Uh, their favorite, uh, slight favorite at home, uh, minus one eleven with the over under at five and a half. Then we've got a, another heavyweight tilt in Montreal tonight. Chicago visits the Canadians, who are a one sixteen favorite. The over under set at five for that seven thirty start. And then Tampa on the second of back to backs visits the Canadian nation's capital in Ottawa, where the Senators are a minus one thirty five. The over under set at five. That's a very big matchup for both teams there. What about the latter games on the on the slate tonight, Mike? 
Well, uh, the game that I'll be watching a 7:30 start. The Maple Leafs go to Sunrise, the BB&T Center in Florida, to take on the Panthers. The Panthers are a, a slight favorite, one minus one fifteen. Uh, Over under is five and a half. Aaron Eckblad will not be playing in that game due to injury. Uh, uh, the nine o'clock start Dallas at the Edmonton Oilers. Edmonton is a minus one sixty-five favorite at five and a half uh, goals uh, for the over under. Uh, Arizona and and the LA Kings, uh, it's the second back-to-back for both teams. The Kings are minus 250, and the over-under is 5, and that's a 10-30 start. And the final game is Buffalo at San Jose. Uh, San Jose is a uh, heavy minus 215 favorite, and the over-under is 5. All right. Well, now it's time for us to put our uh, minds together and come up with our lineups. Mike, you got to come up with two centers to start us off here. Who do you like at the pivot position tonight? Well, I went I went with John Tavares in a bounce back game with for the Islanders. It's a must win for them against Carolina. Um, there was a it was a wide open offensive game yesterday, so I think he, I think he'll step up. Uh, Braden Point scored two goals against uh, the Rangers, and I think I picked Braden Point at thirty seven hundred as a bargain pick. All right, and I'm going to counter with a couple of guys. One one looks like a bargain pick, and I talked about already earlier in the show, and that's Nugent Hopkins for Edmonton. He's priced at only $4,600. Now, that's yep. a former first-round pick, first overall, priced at less than $5,000, and I like the matchup that he gets tonight, so I'll take a piece of that, and I'll par- pair him with a guy out of the Maple Leafs ranks, Nazem Kadri, who with all the ink that the uh, rookies are getting, this guy's had a very good year, a career year, in fact, and priced at $6,800. When the chips are down on, in a big game in Florida tonight, I think they're looking for, uh, for Kadri to be a leader, and I expect that he'll play like one tonight. Four, four wingers, Mike. Okay, I took Mitch Marner because he's red hot, uh, 6,800, playing the Panthers. It's going to be a big game. I think there will be some goals scored in this game. It's not going to be a tight contest. Uh, Jason Spetz at 6,400 against the Edmonton Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers can score, but they still cannot play defense. So I think you know Dallas can score, but they can't play defense. So I think it's going to be a, a pretty high-scoring game. Uh, Andres Palat. At 5,000 against the Ottawa Senators, uh, I think Palat, Kucherov, guys like Duran, Kalorn, they're going to have to come up big. They didn't do really anything against the Rangers last night, so the veterans will have to step up in the second of back-to-back games. And I went with Jerome McGinley at 3,800 as a bargain pick because they're playing Arizona, and he hit. He did score a couple goals against Toronto. He really hasn't done much after that. So I think playing with Kopitar, if he does do that, which he's supposed to, I think he'll get some points. I've got the uh, okay for my four wingers. I've got Drysidle of Edmonton. He's played some minutes with with the big guy McDavid on the top line, but I'll take him even if he goes to second line minutes here. I just like the way the guy plays his all around game, big size and great skill. Uh, I'll par- pair him with Patrick Marlowe. The Wiley veterans had a great second half of the season, priced at only at $5,800. I think that's a great value play tonight. And yep. I'm looking like you at the Florida game where Willie Nylander at $5,900 also looks like a good bet in a game that where they could I could see a lot of goals going in. The Leafs have a pretty good book on James Reimer, and you can bet that they've shared it with Willie Nylander, who had a cup of coffee with him last year uh, when he was with the Leafs late in the season. But uh, I look for that to be a big night for the Maple Leafs offensively. And then finally, Artemi Panarin with the Hawks. He's Patrick Kane light. He gets to play with uh, his lookalike in terms of on-ice skills. And at $6,800, this guy's a threat to go off every night. And I'm not even worried about the fact that Carey Price is the goalie. Chicago's on a, quite a roll of late and looking for all the world like a team that's ready to, fe- to defend their cup. On the blue line, we got a pair of guys for us there, Mike. 
Uh, I went with Eric Carlson. No, no, no explanation needs to be given. Uh, Seventy-five hundred versus Tampa Bay. I mean, if Ottawa scores, he's going to be at the center of it. And I took a flyer on Keith Yandel uh, because I think he's going to get number one defenseman ice time against the Leafs in replacing Ekblad at forty-five hundred against Toronto. And I went with a couple of guys who are the signature players of their respective power plays. The LA Kings, as you said, are goal challenged. But uh, any scoring that they do is likely going to be revolving around primo defenseman uh, Drew Doughty. They've got a soft matchup at the other end of the ice with Arizona providing the opposition, though the Coyotes are coming off a shutout last night. So we'll see what they deliver tonight. And then in that back-to-back matchup, I'm I'm pretty happy to put Falk in there uh, for Carolina. Uh, Their top offensive defenseman comes in at $4,800. They're coming off a road win where they should be feeling pretty good to to go back-to-back against their opposition tonight. And I'll take a piece of him for $4,800. Your goalie to round out your roster, Michael. Martin Jones at 9000 against the Sabres. The Sabres are not good. <laughs> and I'm going to say Jonathan Quick for the same reason as you said. $8,800 looks like maybe the best goalie pick on the board, if I can be so bold. I don't think I'm going out on that big of a limb, Mike, am I? And uh, a chance to- I, would t- I would have taken him if you didn't. There we go. So I got your endorsement. Now, at Rotowire headquarters, we do have the Rotowire Optimizer. I'm going to say, take a look at that, folks. Uh, you know we've talked about it all season long to see what that lineup, uh, lineup optimizer spits out for you. Uh, it's a very versatile tool and uh, allows you to lock in a couple of players and monkey around with the rest of the rosters. We've highlighted it all year long. I think it's time for you guys to go take a look and see for yourselves just how good and versatile it is. At the same time, we want to also give our thanks to our sponsors at FanDuel with a reminder that baseball is just around the corner, folks. Don't get stranded on first base without a Rotowire subscription and don't miss out on this great offer. Make your first deposit on FanDuel today and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Go to FanDuel.com slash Rotowire to claim it. You must be a new FanDuel user in order to be eligible. Users may only establish one account on FanDuel per player. That's FanDuel.com slash Rotowire. Okay, Mike, uh, we invite people to join us Thursdays where we take a fuller look at line of options in the NHL version of the DFS sports pods that we produce at every day for all sports. We cover NBA DFS on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday of each week. But right now, it's time to turn our attention to uh, the ending portion of our show where we, each week we highlight the stud of the week and the rant of the week. And uh, I'll kick us off with a nod to Brian Elliott who uh, in uh, two games last week produced two shutouts. He also came up with another win yesterday. This is a team that's on a roll, and in his last nine starts, he's only allowed 16 goals in their stretch of recent success uh, to grab a foothold on the playoffs. I know my partner, A.J. Scholes, was down on, on Brian Elliott, and we had a dollar versus a loony bet, and I'm expecting payment for that one before the season <laughs> ends. That was a solid pick by me, and I, I think A.J.'s hiding on me since we made that call. Your thoughts on Brian Elliott? I mean, I, I like I said earlier, I've never been a big Brian Elliott fan. I don't think he's a number one goaltender, but you can't you can't uh, dispute what he's done recently with the turnaround with the Flames. I'm just questioning whether now he's a one year stopgap for them. I don't know whether they're going to sign him long term, but he, he early in the season, I think he was one of the main reasons why they slumped. But now he, he's one of the main reasons why they've turned things around. Exactly. I think that's a concise and accurate assessment. Now, Mike, we talked a minutes before we went on the air, and you know that I'm boiling over about the rant of the week. The Leafs season ticket holders will see a rise from between 7 and $16 per ticket. You know that I'm a season ticket holder, Mike, and I've told that to our listeners as well. The rationale behind this increase, according to their chief commercial officer, is to combat the secondary 
ticket market. Scalpers, folks, that's what they're talking about. The club would rather get fuller value than some guy in a parka, is the direct quote. This team already makes more money from ticket sales than any other in the league, and the, it's not even a close in terms of their margin over second place. In addition, I can tell you that in order to, for me to retain my Leaf tickets, I have to buy Raptors tickets as well and pay club fees, which go straight to the, the bottom line of MLSE. Mike, there's a name for this kind of activity, isn't there? Well, I can't say that to say that. We won't, that, but yeah. we both but know I'll, what it is. Yes. Now, the, the thing is, I mean, okay, you could justify raising the ticket prices because they didn't raise the ticket prices when the team was 27th and 30th overall because they were the worst, one of the worst teams in the league, and now they're entertaining. They have a lot of young players. They're better. I can understand that. But to couch it by saying it's to discourage the secondary market, it's not going to discourage the secondary market. All the secondary market is going to do is pass the increase on to the fans. So instead of you having to pay, it's a $90 purple ticket and you're paying $100 or $115 with the scalper, you're paying $125. That's all that's going to happen. It's going to increase everything around and the money's going to come out of the fans' pockets. And uh, that's a shame because uh, the fans have been so supportive of this club and on the, on the brink of them becoming a competitive team and relevant team again, they may be pushing some people away. That might be the downside of this whole circumstance. Mike, I have to thank you for coming up large in the last three episodes of the uh, podcast and the, the NHL DFS. You've been a star, as I expected you would. And I thank you very much for your contribution to our show. It was my pleasure, Paul. Well, that wraps up this week's podcast with Statsman and AJ. Remember to send your comments and questions on Twitter. Follow me at Stat Paul Bruno at Statsman22. And you can follow Mike at Mike Ogello at Mike in Buffalo. We also ask you to look out for our podcast, Hockey Pod, every week so that you get all the latest news and our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy contests. So long, everybody.